This is the ZMAR Podcast. Elite Benefits of America helps small and mid-sized companies with their health insurance programs. And now, your host, Butch ZMAR. Today we're going to talk about spoiled little rich kids because I think that's how a lot of us act when we come to health insurance. And we're going to talk about what health insurance is and what health insurance isn't. So when they grow up and they have everything catered to them, people probably seen this story play out. They take everything for granted. They think somebody else has a pocketbook. They can go trash a car and get a replacement. They can uh, almost do whatever they want, and and they just get a hall pass, right? And so it just keeps going. A lot of people treat health insurance similar, saying, you know, I should should have this. I demand that, and it doesn't work that way. Somebody else still pays the bill. Ultimately, it's us, the 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 patients, the people that are trying to get access to health care, even the ones that are demanding the health care and demanding that they should pay very little out of pocket. They're the ones driving the cost up. And so we're going to talk about some of the drivers, too, and where we're at today with health insurance premiums and nothing's for free. Right. So even even some people say, well, Obamacare, you know, you get that government health plan. Well, again, there's no government owns nothing. It's all funded and paid for by taxpayers. And so even when people say that, it's like, well, but taxpayers are paying for it. It's not the government. It needs to be spelled out sometimes. And when we have conversations with people in transition coming off of our employer group plans or they're in transition and they're connected with people we know and we assist for on and off exchange plans, it's a taxpayer credit. It's not a government credit. Uh, it's a taxpayer. The taxpayer dollars are funding the health care plan to reduce the premiums. Or you go on Medicaid, and that's funded by taxpayers as well. And so that's where the money is coming. There's nothing free. So we demand so much out of health care um, and then expect somebody else to pay for it. And, and the reality is, is uh, we all pay for it at some point as a whole, collectively. Um, some are more impacted individually than others. Uh, when you work for global companies or just large companies, you don't see the impact as much. But try walking down Main Street sometime and talk to some of these solopreneurs and small business owners under 100 employees and ask them how their health plan are, is going, right? They'll, they'll, they'll be probably more than happy uh, to tell you it just won't be pleasant. The spoiled little rich kids in our health plan, and we need to make them realize that uh, the money has to come from someplace and eventually it's going to be you. So let's talk about what health insurance is and what it isn't. So back in the day, like if we rewind um, in time to history, and you could actually go back to some of our original podcasts, we talk about the history of health insurance a little bit. And I'm just in summary, like, you know, there was years ago where, you know, healthcare was just paid in cash. At some point, doctors started making house calls. It was fairly affordable. Uh, eventually, employers started saying, hey, you know, we'll help compensate for some of your out-of-pocket expenses for medical expenses. So they created a essentially a trust fund, but they allocated dollars to help pay for those medical expenses. And then World War II occurred. And after World War II, when there was a wage freeze where employers, you know, that had more money, they couldn't pay higher wages to attract better talent. Uh, so they forced everybody to keep everything the same uh, for a regulation. And so they implemented one of the biggest tax breaks in history that is still existing today, even though, not to call out politics, but every Democrat that's been put in office or Democratic parties between Cong Congress, Senate, and House, they always try to eliminate this. And it, it's never successful, but there's always it's always on the table, um, uh, to say the least. 
And so the tax break is that employers can provide a health insurance plan um, to their employees, and the employees are not taxed on that benefit. It's one of the only benefits that is not taxed um, that provided to an employee. Because in order for one person to get a tax break, in this case it's the employer, somebody has to pay taxes on that. So um, some argue that when you go into business, right, you get pre-tax dollars and then you have the ability to go spend it. Well, the, the, the government is trying to incentivize spending to a certain degree. One is payroll, right? So they're going to collect payroll tax. Uh, the other thing is you're going to take that money and go buy resources and goods and supplies. And then that's income to somebody else, right? And so um, and it, it's kind of like a barter at, at some point, but eventually somebody has to pay the tax. And usually it's in a product or service, eventually end up sold to an end user. Um, and then in order to sell that, you have to pay for employees and wages and, and obviously benefits, right? And so there's a cost that's involved. And so eventually uh, over time, somebody's going to be taking, paying the tax on this. Well, the health insurance is the biggest tax break in history when it comes to um, corporate tax deductions. And so they provide a group health insurance plan and things started to evolve and companies out there started becoming innovative and saying, all right, we're going to charge you a certain amount and we're going to cover X, Y, and Z. So it actually really just started out as catastrophic coverage. And then eventually uh, we moved into what, what some call the HMO era. In order for insurance companies to control costs, they had to basically isolate, or in some people call regulate, regulate where people go and how they go and how often they go. And one way they did it in the past was designated provider systems. Some of them were created by the insurance companies, which still exist today, um, but some were, they would go to a hospital system and say, okay, we're gonna send all, anybody that signs up for this plan, we're going to, um, give you a stipend each month, and then you have to see all the pa uh, patients with inside that stipend each month. Um, it's you know on you if there's more than one month versus another because there's this balancing act supposedly. And so what happens is rationing of care, all right? And so because money has a limit, um, and this healthcare, healthcare money has a limit, and we'll get to that too, but so that's where the bad image of HMOs came into play where they don't want, nobody wants HMOs. And HMO is just a tool today. Modern HMO is completely different how they pay the providers. In most cases, they're actually paid as a PPO. The reimbursement rates might be different because it's an HMO versus the PPO. Um, so in some cases, I think HMO may get higher than the uh, paid higher at the provider level than the PPO, but I don't have evidence of that. But but it's not a, a stipend each month to the a provider group and they have to see all these patients. It's it's per claim. And so it's worked out better than it was. But the reason that insurance companies really went down this path was so they can control cost. And and of course that drove up profits too at the same time. So all of a sudden we're in this era where you have to stay access or provide access to certain providers and then uh, control the cost. So the insurance company is dictating how much they're paying the providers. There's some negotiation for the providers. And so uh, there's this back and forth. But eventually, people started demanding more flexibility. So now all of a sudden, we got the PPO, right? So the PPO started coming in. And and uh, those who are listening to me, you're welcome to comment and uh, give me feedback on this. But I do think that the PPO era started coming in the late 80s. Uh, going into the 90s and then just dominated through the 90s. And then all of a sudden that was the most asked for product in the marketplace was I can't have an HMO, I got to have a PPO. And 
the reality is, and, and from the world of Bojzimar, I don't think PPO and HMO needs to exist anymore. I think providers are doing a good job with some of the schedule of benefits. And that's why some level funded and self-funded programs have gone to what's called reference-based pricing. We're going to get somebody on the podcast here, I think, shortly uh, in, the, in the coming months on reference-based pricing and why that's a key tool to controlling cost. And so um, there's some negativity that comes to it with balanced billing, but a lot of that's been fixed and rectified throughout the years. And so I, I think it should be just open access, but they do it for control and, and profits, obviously. So people dem- um, demanded the PPO, and then um, that's most common um, today. Now we're moving into a couple other segments that, and again, this is from the world of Bojzimar. This is not trends in the industry that's being talked about, but from the 90s to the 2000s, all of a sudden people became the dominant. So they started demanding what they wanted, how they wanted, how they needed to get access to it. And all of a sudden from like the late 90s through 2010, healthcare just kind of just skyrocketed. And there was more usage in the marketplace and some of it could be the uh, the baby boomers were midstream in their work career and there was kids going on and there's a number of things that were at play that could have contributed to that but then there was just this demand and again from the world of butch zimar i think now we're moving into more of a provider dominant and possibly an insurance company dominant sector where it's just driving costs. But again, regulation um, forces to happen through Affordable Care Act. And and so eventually it's going to all cost us money. And we're going to talk about how much it's increased over the years. But let's talk about what insurance really is. Let's take health out of the picture for a moment. It's a pool of money, right? And so insurance companies, insure, in order to understand risk and, and calculate how much premiums that need to be collected, is they figure out how many people need to be in the pool at what cost, and then how much is going out, and how much is going to cover administrative cost, and then, of course, eventually, they're all profits. I know people argue and say, well, that's why health insurance companies should be nonprofit. Well, there's a lot of nonprofits that make a heck of a lot more um, than the for-profit companies. And so just because of health insurance coming to the marketplace says, oh, no, 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 we're a nonprofit, just means they need to spend all their money. And so executives still make multi-millions of dollars and the list goes on. So just do your homework before you start spouting out that it should be a nonprofit, but there's profits built in a nonprofit at some degree is just labeled to something else. And so there's a pool of money. So they spread the risk because now you won't be able to afford your own $10,000 or a hundred thousand or 1 million or $10 million claim. You just, people just cannot afford that. And so they, you put your money in a pool with a whole bunch of other people, and now you have you know millions, tens of millions, hundreds of millions, maybe billions of dollars in this pool. And when you put a population together, eventually somebody can do math and say, okay, a certain amount of people are going to have a $100 million claim, some are going to have $10 million claim, $5 million. I'm making these numbers up. I have no idea what the actual value of what gets paid out. but And it goes down the list. And I do know that most of the claims, most meaning like 70, 80, 90% are definitely under 100,000. They might actually be even lower, under 50,000. I heard at some point it was actually under $30,000 claims as majority. So even though some people panic and say it could be expensive, well, you know what? It's not expensive if you take the PPO regulated discounts out uh, and just pay straight the what the cost is because if you look at the explanation of benefits some people especially if they're you know during the 
childbearing years and they're worried about maternity and coverage, you know, delivery, you call the hospital, it's, they, they'll tell you retail price could be thirty to 50000 The average uh, birth is definitely less than 20000 uh, I know I had four kids and I don't know if how much we tipped ten thousand dollars worth of claims. I mean, it's just it just went for normal deliveries, uh, complications and other things would in a different direction. Even for procedures and surgeries, my kid had a small little minor surgery in his hand that we would chip back and put into his knuckle to prevent future problems. And the gross bill was fifteen grand um, plus some other doctor visits. So even under twenty thousand dollars. By the time it was all discounted, um, it was all of it, it was under ten thousand dollars. And so I've heard even open heart surgeries being less than $50,000. So, so anyhow, it's just the, the there's a perception of what cost is really out there, but there's an actual value of how much gets paid out. That's why they put a pool together, um, makes it easier to afford to pay those claims. Uh, they spread the risk across that base because there's more premium being put in. So they have more allocated dollars. And insurance should be just for sudden expensive claims. That's it, right? So let's let's just compare other insurance programs. We've done this before on the podcast. This is a good reminder. So we talk about auto and home insurance, right? That's the most common that people will get. Not everybody has business insurance um, because they're not in business. Uh, so mo- most common is auto and home. And you drive down a main street, there's uh, probably several um, auto and home insurance agents. So it's just it's just a common item. So when we look at auto insurance, um, it's common knowledge that they're not paying for car washes, they're not paying for tires, they're not paying for windshield wipers, they're not putting fuel in your tank, um, and then they're not doing tune-ups, right? It's just common knowledge. Why would why we would do that, right? Some people would argue and say, well, we wouldn't do that. It's our car, right? Well, our, it's our body, right? Like, so why are we not taking care of our own body and doing the same thing? But Homeowners insurance is not paying for power washing, uh, AC checkup, AC replacement. Um, they're not doing any of that. And so how uh, preventive is good in health, right? We do preventative on cars so we don't run on a road trip with the family and we forgot to do an oil change and uh, the engine locks up, right? Like So you don't want any of that. So you do preventative measures on your vehicle and we need to do that for our health. But they always expect somebody else to pay for it. So the insurance company, especially with the Affordable Care Act, said, okay, okay, all right, we're going to pay for it. There's like 5,000 wellness benefits that they'll pay for based on age and other criterias. And so uh, you could get all this stuff covered. Well, I'm not a big fan of that. I get why. I need. To, I think there needs to be an incentive for people to go um, because early prevention is always key. And so um, I think... Having access at affordable cost is definitely uh, the uh, one possible solution. Uh, but um, you, with auto and home insurance, you're not paying for preventative. Or you're paying for preventive. You're not asking the insurance company to pay for it. When we talk about business insurance, right? So uh, business insurance, common sense is they're not paying for wear and tear on that office door or that desk, right? They're not replacing those items. They're not paying for consultation so you could be a better business, right? So you're not going to hire a consultant and pay for it with the insurance company. Um, and then even some um, legal work, some legal ex- exceptions are covered by the the, the commercial insurance. Uh, you got to read your policy. There are certain aspects. Usually it's involving a little go, uh, legal claim that's being held against you, even though preventive legal work probably would work out better, but they don't pay for any of that. And it doesn't make sense, right? The premiums are going to go up because they're paying for it, right? A lot of health insurance is prepayment benefits. Dental insurance, 
unless somebody else is helping you pay the bill, like if it's an employee benefit uh, or you have buying scale. So if you're working for a global company, then sometimes the premiums could reduce naturally just because they get enough premium in the pool. But outside of that, you prepay your benefits throughout the year. So it just depends on how much work you need to get done. And on dental insurance, they cap out at a thousand or 1500 bucks. And that's just one example, right? So um, when you want doctor visits, you want wellness exams, guess what they're doing? They're just padding the premium so they can pay for it. Not everybody takes care of it. So therefore there's more money in the pool. So they're probably not charging you full price because they know there's going to be some leftover from somebody else, but still they're pre uh, you're prepaying for those benefits. Let's talk about what it's not, right? Health insurance, what it's not. It's not an open credit card. Some people think that, hey, I could just you know fly around and use this fancy little card with this nice logo on there and I can get access to anything I want. And that's true to a certain degree. Um, so like we've taken advantage of it because some we all do. And so sometimes you need to get access to care and sometimes they won't see you unless you have insurance. You flash that card, boom, you're in, right? So they know that they're going to get paid at some point. But some people take advantage of it and say, ah, willy nilly, let's just, you know, use the insurance. So that's why these big corporations are providing rich benefits or you have enough money, you want to buy lower deductibles. And then it provides, it provides you an incentive to actually use the insurance. So uh, when it goes to auto insurance, um, our office does not technically sell it like um, it's a different division, different product. And so, but some people are like, well, I want the 250 deductible. Well, if you had a 250 deductible on auto insurance, you would have a financial incentive to actually get repairs done that probably don't need to be get done. Everything's super expensive. I would have a, probably a $10,000 deductible if it was available just because I'm probably not going to get it fixed unless it's that expensive. Um, and of course, that's financially coming out of pocket. And of course, I'm exaggerating a little bit. I probably wouldn't have a $10,000 deductible because financially it just wouldn't make sense. But but I, it does not make financial sense to have a 250 deductible. But these insurance companies design their products that there's not much of a price difference between like a 500,000 or a thousand and fifteen hundred dollar deductible. And so um, because they know that you're going to have a financial incentive to make a claim anyways. And so they just charge enough for it because they want a certain minimum premium. So they have to figure out a way actuarially to do it. So having a lower deductible just produces more incentive to um, use the healthcare plan and because it's like an open credit card. And some people say, well, who cares, right? I'm not the one writing the checks, right? Well, in the short term, that may be true, right? Um, and originally with good intentions, that may make sense because you're like, well, I'm not really sure what's going on. My doctor doesn't know. I'm just going to start doing some of these tests and rack them up, so to speak, um, because we don't know where we're at. And, and that's fine, right? Like when you're really trying to figure out what's going on. But some people go out there and say, well, willy nilly, and they just go do a bunch of stuff. But let's talk about who's really paying for that, right? So according to the Heritage Foundation, from 2013 to 2019, so during that, what, six-year period, so Affordable Care Act kicked in in 2014, it's still existing today, but all the way up through 2019 was the data that I was able to find as of right now was a 100, 129% increase in premiums, um, so it's more than doubled. But I know from personal experience from 2020 to 2023, it's gone up um, about 10 to 12% a year on average, um, sometimes more, sometimes a little less. So you're, you're talking about a huge increase. So if we were to go back to 2013, and if you were paying individually $6,000 a year for premiums, and I, that's high at that moment, um, but uh, some group plans were roughly $6,000, $7,000 a year. And 
from 2013 to now, you would talk about you're talking about the same policy, probably lesser benefits is now nine thousand dollars. And then a family plan that was twenty thousand dollars in twenty thirteen is now paying thirty thousand dollars a year. That's a huge impact. And some people say, "Well, I get it through my employer. Who cares, right?" Well, if your company is a hundred employees and each family went up by uh, ten thousand dollars each, and let's say half of the company has families, and so you're talking about um, that's fifty employees times ten thousand dollars you do the math and you're asking the employer to go ahead and eat that uh, dollar amount what is that five hundred thousand whatever it is and so it's 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 a huge amount um actually it's five million five million dollars you're saying hey just eat it buddy because i don't want to pay for it how is that fair right like somebody's gonna have to eventually pay for it well guess what there might be layoffs um they may close down a division which means more layoffs uh, you may not get the pay increase this year because your health insurance premiums just went up by $10,000. And so you're not going to get any raise because they're eating it with um, health care benefits. And some people say, well, that's just corporate greed and whatever. I, I'm telling you, the biggest line item on any business, um, aside from taxes and maybe salaries, is health insurance, right? And so uh, it is the biggest issue for any employer out there i don't care small or large it's a big issue and then you're just basically saying ah you know what just you pay for it i don't want it right well it's just not fair right eventually it's going to cost you one thing it could cost you your job which means you're out of money so uh there's companies that are going out of business right now because of it um they can't control the cost regulation drives the cost so there's a lot of regulation in the affordable care act that drove the cost up Demand went up in the last 10 years. And so um, because people were like, oh, I could get access to health care. So some people that were unsure are now insured. That's true. But uh, the Affordable Care Act definitely canceled more than, um, than, than it ever claimed to be canceled. And so a ton of policyholders actually got um, their policy actually canceled due to Obamacare. And that's a fact. But, but and then in return, because as long as the doctor had tied a procedure to a medically necessary um, uh, code, uh, usually in most cases it was covered. Yes, the insurance company is still screening for things, right? So the exception would be is fraud, right? So there are certain codes that they know just don't exist or shouldn't be existing in part of something else. So they're trying to prevent fraud. The other thing would be alternatives. We got uh, one employer group right now. We have one of the employees, even Mayo Clinic's getting a denial uh, because they think that there should be alternative procedures done first. And that's just healthcare trying to manage it. If you, if it was your pocketbook and you had unlimited funds, though, um, to a certain degree, there, there's a cap at some point. So you wouldn't just shell out money willy-nilly, uh, and that's my favorite term of the day, but um, you wouldn't just keep shelling out money just to you know, keep paying for these claims, at some point, you're going to say, well, hold the phone, right? Like, like, what can we do to help control the costs? So some of these alternative treatments will actually work out better and cheaper for everybody. But they may not. And there's a lot of people that will argue that they won't. But but that's just their mindset, right? If there's a way that they could do it differently or better, then that's their mindset. You might be able to convince them otherwise. But that's where appeals come in. If you own a business, Elite Benefits of America wants to remind you that health insurance open enrollments are either happening now or coming very quickly. And this is the time to review and implement a health care plan to make or keep you as the employer of choice. Deadlines for open enrollment range between November 1st and January 1st. Get ahead of the curve. 
the Small Business Special Enrollment Period, part of the Affordable Care Act, now allows employers with 49 employees and under to offer health benefits without contributing a dime to the employee plan. Help your employees save money on taxes with health insurance they're already paying for with their hard-earned dollars. Butch Zemar from Elite Benefits of America wants you to reach out to him today. Visit EliteBenefits.net or call 708-535-3006. Some people say, since I'm paying more for my health insurance premiums, I'm going to go ahead and use it more, right? But, um... That's just going to increase utilization, which in turn increases the cost. Some people say uh, COVID increased it. I think it's a mute point. There's a lot of people that backed off on claims during 2020 and 2021. And then, of course, we had COVID claims. I don't think it was that big of an impact. And from what I've read, there, there were spikes in certain areas and some were expensive. And some of the articles portrayed that COVID was the most expensive thing that year. Well, it was probably the only thing that year. And so... Then we have part of the Affordable Care Act is the medical loss ratio. So we talked about this before, but like in most cases on um, individual private plans and and small to mid-sized companies, uh, it's the 80-20 rule. So 80% of the premiums had to be escrowed for claims. And then 20% were allotted for administration and profit. And so um, larger groups are a little bit different um, than smaller groups, but I'm just using 80-20 because people uh, could relate to 80-20. Uh, and so, and if they escrowed more than 80%, they were supposed to give, um, give a refund um, back to them. But if they used more than um, the 80%, I'm sorry, yeah, so the opposite. So if they if they allocated more funds, they have to give it back. And if they didn't have enough, then they don't have to give a refund. That's what the medical loss ratio. The, the original reason for it is Congress thought the insurance company was ripping people off. So they decided to smack them on the wrist and say, if you took too much money, you got to give it back. And it didn't amount to a whole lot. The average premium refund for a family in the beginning, because they were on different margins, uh, was like 200 bucks for the whole year. So you think about it. 20 bucks a month or so was more um they charged too much right and was it worth the administrative cost i don't know but but still but what it did is it created an incentive to spend in order to increase my 20 percent, i got to increase the 80 percent because that's the regulated part and so well i just need to increase my expenses um therefore i can increase my 20 percent side so now all of a sudden cost is driving up right and so now they become more purposeful about spending providers know this and they take advantage of it insurance companies want to profit more so therefore they're going to go and increase this and even the nonprofits out there they want to increase this too because they got more executives to pay for so they could zero out those funds so they become non-profit and so how is that fair and who's going to end up paying for that right but how should it be right i always say from the world of butch zemar because um, my opinion may only matter to certain people uh it may not work for everybody especially because a lot of people either feel that health insurance should pay for all this um, and then the flip side is some people are not in a position to do this. And that's fairly, um, that's acceptable, obviously, because not everybody can do what, what um, you think should happen. And, and obviously it's a reality when you get to that point, you can make better decisions, but what, what health insurance should be. So I think it should be compared to every other product. We need to stop demanding uh, access to 
coverage paid before by somebody else for little things. We should just pay cash for it all, right? And I think that will drive costs down, but we can't do it one, you know, one and two. Like I'm doing that personally, because to me, it makes sense. I have more control of the dollars. I can negotiate better at the provider. I don't always win, but there's times where I can get things virtually eliminated or reduced to an affordable option by having more control. It is more involved. Some people say, well, I'll just blindly pay the insurance company so somebody else can deal with it. Well, they're just writing checks, which means that your premiums are going to go up. You know, if the Zemar family is doing this, it's not going to make an impact on your premiums, but we have to do it collectively as a whole. So I think businesses need to get behind this and actually have more control. The only way they're really going to do it on a big level is provide employees incentives to go to a lower cost facility. And they're already doing that. And we have brokers that are actually working on that uh, throughout the entire country. That's been going on for almost 10 years since the Affordable Care Act, if not longer. Uh, it's just become more relevant today because some businesses are tossing up their hands and saying, I'm done. Well, the bigger Im- uh, businesses can make a bigger impact on the on, on how this works. So that's why certain um, insurance companies are providing negotiated costs with certain facilities that have higher ratings, not lower ratings, but higher ratings. In fact, uh, I think on a previous podcast, I, I mentioned that there was a study that came out that higher cost actually equals lower quality of care. And there's data that supports that. And so it's just contradicting to what we originally think. But on a cash basis, I think it would drive costs down. Like auto insurance, you're paying for your own oil changes. Well, go do your own wellness exam, right? There's got to be more clinics that are going to be popping up to provide you access to wellness benefits um, so you can get these things taken care of before things actually blow up out of control and it, and it would be affordable. And, and when you look at discounted prices, though, so and that's why I think the, the purple unicorn is this PPO discount or HMO discount, um, because if you're in the position to pay cash for a lot of things until a larger deductible comes in, the discounted fee is a lot uh, very reasonable. And you would say, well, why couldn't they just have this price to begin with? And and if more and more people were paying this way, the price would actually probably be lower because of cash demand. And so that's why oil changes aren't $100 unless you have a very expensive car. And so the average oil change is less than 50 I think it would just drive costs in a different direction. For example, the average doctor visit in America, if you pay cash, is between $80 and $120 a visit. You're going and ask for advice that you didn't know, and you couldn't Google search, since we have Google now, to figure out what it was. So you took your kid to the doctor and you found out they have, you know, need an antibiotic or something, right? Well, you need advice for that or you need the prescription. So therefore, you have to pay access to that. I think that's reasonable. I think it should be lower um, from my perspective. But for right now, that's that's reasonable to say that some guy that went to school for 10 years um, could tell us what we need to do next. Um, same thing when I had an evaluation done on my kid's uh, hand. Well, we end up having to go to a hand specialist uh, but we did. We had an idea, but we're not specialists, so we had to go through the channels. So we went to an orthopedic. They said, "No, we have to go to a hand specialist." Right? We paid one hundred and fifty dollars for that consultation. Was it worth it? Yeah, because what if we didn't need to go to the hand specialist, right? And they could have done it there. So there's a there's obviously just a lot more leverage when when you're in the game. You could you could try to figure out things on your own accord versus having um, somebody else tell you. Uh, like an insurance company, right? You can figure your healthcare on your own. And I know this topic is very contra- controversial, but um, I just think the the one who pays the bills are going to be in control. That's why the insurance company has a lot of control and providers can demand access to that cash because they have bigger purses. And people believe that why, why should they have to pay for it? 
if somebody else is or why you know why do we what should we care right they don't have any incentive to fix it right we can't do it individually we have to do it as a whole but more and more people that are listening to this podcast and trying to do the right thing out there and other insurance brokers people i rub elbows with every single day they're out there trying to do the right thing as well and so um, we need to reduce regulations for uh, for sure because uh, Affordable Care Act did that. They added more regulation to it. In some degree, I think it could be warranted. In other degrees, it's not. It's the the pre existing conditions was the biggest push. Well, you know what? They needed to change one word or add one word to the HIPAA regulations and allow portability um, from group to group. Uh, it was specified only employer sponsor plans. They just have to add in private insurance plans to that, and it would have fixed everything. Um, and pre-existing would have, would have been a mute point at that point, um, like it is now. But most of the case studies that they used, why pre-existing conditions were an issue, well, there was a lot more behind the curtain than people realized. So there was a lot of fraud involved, people lying about it. I do think insurance companies overstepped their boundaries in some way. But we were seeing a trend before the Affordable Care Act on our side where insurance companies were saying, that's fine. Well, if you didn't tell us on the application and we found it, we're just not going to cover it for the first 12 months because you, you failed to mention it. And then we'll pay for anything new. And um, I think that was fair because if you're supposed to disclose your health history and you either purposely or unintentionally omitted information, it probably should be excluded because you didn't tell the truth, right? There's a legal binding agreement between you and the insurance company because they're paying out a lot of money for you. And so uh, some people could argue with that, but um, I just still think that uh, you just need to put more skin in the game and take more responsibility. But more people rather spend money on, you know, getting that gourmet cup of coffee at seven bucks, right? I, I, I complain every time I go to, to a coffee shop and I just get black regular coffee and I'm paying more than $3. I think it's ridiculous. I think it should be paying under two, right? But well, um, that's just for me. But some people are going to these expensive coffee shops and spending seven to $10 a cup. I'd rather have a beer for that money. And But uh, some people would do it. So... Um, we need to reallocate some of our expenses, put it to more priorities. Uh, if we go back 20 years ago, we weren't spending on a coffee. We were doing budgeting and paying for things that um, grown-ups do. And so I think healthcare needs to be similar to that, and you need to have more skin in the game and control some of the costs. And now that you know what health insurance should be, maybe you'll have better outcomes with your health care.